Oh, I'm going to get in trouble today. I'm going to start two fires, one underneath Maria Taylor of ESPN and the other underneath a would-be Olympian, Shikari Richardson, the Olympic sprinter who was banned for smoking pot. Greg Couch is going to join us from Chicago. We'll talk about tennis star Naomi Osaka. All that and more. Nerds! Welcome to Fearless. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, joined by my right-hand man, Uncle Jimmy. All right, we're going to get things rolling right off the gates. I'm going to start a fire underneath this whole ESPN controversy between Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. Let's get to it. ESPN's mission statement is to serve sports fans in the community, anytime, anywhere. That's what they say. Over the past decade, the self-proclaimed worldwide leader in sports has been forced to deviate from its mission. Its mission statement unofficially became to serve liberal sports fans in every community, anytime, anywhere. The Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols controversy is gonna spark a different ESPN mission statement, to serve angry and easily offended black women in every community, anytime, anywhere. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to shout, Yas, queen! And pretend that Taylor's fight for an $8 million a year contract is the equivalent of Rosa Parks refusing to take a back seat on a bus. We're all supposed to wait for Maria Taylor to exhale. It's like she's Savannah, the character from the classic black movie, waiting to exhale. Mm, Sorry. I'm not gonna tell that lie. We can't construct a country and a workplace culture centered around satiating the egos, emotions, and economic demands of women or people who claim to be offended by everything. America promises freedom and opportunity. America does not promise its citizens freedom from offense. That's a make-believe utopian world created and promoted by Marxists determined to cast America as the most evil place on earth. In her bid to improve her contract leverage, Taylor and her enablers are casting ESPN as one of America's most racist work cultures. Because Nichols asserted that Taylor's dark skin contributed to Taylor getting a job promised to Nichols, Taylor, the National Association of Black Journalists, and a Los Angeles Times columnist, and many others are pretending Bristol, Connecticut is Mississippi burning. Not true. I worked at ESPN twice. ESPN is not hostile to black employees. It's hostile to employees who don't tow the Democratic Party political line. In 2017, I wrote a column for the Wall Street Journal spelling out how the radical website Deadspin bullied ESPN to adopt a far left bias. Here's a short excerpt from my piece, quote, Deadspin significantly elevated the price of implementing change at ESPN. The often caustic blog mastered search engine optimization and Twitter's ability to gin up faux outrage. Its writers trolled ESPN talent and executives, getting plenty of attention along the way. The site particularly delighted in exposing alleged sexual malfeasance among ESPN employees, end quote. 
Deadspin's bullying of ESPN transpired between, I'd say, 2017, 2015. By the time of my Wall Street Journal piece, Deadspin had justifiably declared victory over the worldwide leader. In a 2016 Deadspin expat, Kevin Draper, now the New York Times of sports media reporter, wrote a blog celebrating ESPN's progressive agenda and point of view. Sports fans were less enthusiastic. ESPN's ratings dipped at a rate that couldn't be explained solely by cable cord cutting. Rebel bloggers such as Dave Portnoy and Clay Travis enhanced their followings by pointing out and capitalizing on ESPN's political correctness and blandness. By 2018, the Walt Disney Company recognized its mistake and used ESPN President John Skipper's cocaine-induced departure. You remember that, Jim? Yes. John Skipper, his cocaine-induced departure. They used that as a pivot point. ESPN's new president, Jimmy Pataro, took over the sports network and promptly pushed to remove its political bias. Donald Trump troller-in-chief, pretty brown eyes according to Jimmy, Jamel Hill, was pushed out of her prominent role as a host of the 6 p.m. Sports Center. Pertaro instructed the network broadcasters and opinionists to avoid politics and Donald Trump. It was working, it was the right move. Ironically though, another drug-induced departure, the death of fentanyl activist, Reverend George Floyd Luther III, sparked a new ESPN pivot. When St. George died, Maria Taylor emerged as the second coming of Jamel Hill. She used St. George's death as a springboard to launch herself as the pretty face of ESPN. She turned the worldwide leader into the sports marketing arm of Black Lives Matter. She verbally beat up Saints quarterback Drew Brees for stating support of the national anthem. I know Listen to the new Jamel Hill, Maria Taylor. I don't believe that you have to be trolled and dragged through Twitter and Instagram in order to change your mind and realize that what you said was intolerant and or could be considered insensitive later. If you had been educated and forced to confront the issues and, like I said, had empathy in your heart, then you would have known the black experience is not easy, especially when 70% of your league is African-American. And these are the conversations that you should have had. So maybe it's not not his whole heart's bad, but something about empathy was off if the first thing, the first thing out of his mouth was it's disrespectful. I will not tolerate anything that is disrespectful to our nation and the flag. That was the first thing. Jimmy, you know what blows my mind about that statement she made is she thinks somebody give a damn about whether she accept the apology or not <laughs> and the drew Brees is supposed to be gonna accept it drew Brees is supposed to be some expert on black people because he's in a locker room with 70 percent black players you know how much drew Brees did for the city of new orleans thank you during, during hurricane katrina you know how much money that man took out of his pocket thank you i think every black person need to go give that money back to drew Brees. <laughs> All right, but in the pages, Maria Taylor wasn't done, in the pages of the New York Times, in the stories written by, guess who, Kevin Draper, the former Deadspin writer, Taylor smeared a white coworker, Dave Lamont, as racist because he was overheard saying, black employees are griping on a conference call. Word. Taylor told Draper, check this out, this is what Maria Taylor told Draper, it was such a slap in the face. When, when I was in it, that was horrible. But now, looking back, it was an awakening moment. This is part of our culture. There are people that feel this way. 
this week, as you guys have seen it play out, Taylor's awakening has brought ESPN to its knees. She's now offended because in a private conversation, Rachel Nichols told a white man that ESPN's crappy record on diversity forced the network to give Taylor a hosting job that had been promised contractually to Nichols. ESPN removed Nichols from the NBA Finals coverage and took her daily show off the air for one day. The blowback on Nichols is preposterous and unfair. But what, what, but what is worse is gonna be the damage done to ESPN's work culture. Everybody, black and white, can see what Taylor is doing. It's all a money grab. ESPN broadcasters have been getting slapped with hefty pay cuts the past two years. Taylor wants her salary elevated from $1 million to $8 million a year, according to reports. She's framing ESPN as racist to get the money. In this cancel culture environment, she might cost Jimmy Pataro his job. Yesterday, a column in the Los Angeles Times called Taylor, and I quote, the perfect journalist. I'm not kidding. Let me read you an excerpt. Quote from the LA Times. Taylor was described to the Los Angeles Times by current and former ESPN employees as a perfect journalist. In addition to her talent on camera, she's known to internally for working hard, mentoring young journalists of all backgrounds, and establishing a foundation to support women and journalists of color. That voice. Look, man, <laughs> uh, seriously. Do newspapers even know what journalism is? Honest to goodness. Mentoring young journalists and establishing foundations of support for women and journalists of color. Jim, that's charity work. That's what you do because you're a good person. That's not journalism, Jim. Somebody needs to tell the LA Times what journalism is. Journalism is breaking news. It's probing news sources for interesting insight and perspective, developing sources, right. writing stories, framing. They don't even know what journalism is, man. That's it. They've described, oh my God, you're the perfect journalist if your life is dedicating, dedicated to helping women get better jobs. That's not journalism, that's activism. Maria Taylor is an activist. Or, she's a character from Terry McMillan's book turned movie, Waiting to Exhale. You remember that movie, Jim? I know you. That's the movie. Wait, that's the movie starring Whitney Houston, right? Yeah, that, okay, that was. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, that was back. That was, I think it came out like 1995. How'd that worked out for. I'm just. Uh, that was back in the days. You know, I had to go to that movie. I was dating somebody that carried that, me. That, to that, that was movie. the movie that laid the groundwork for this madness. It made. It helped. That's me the exhale. movie that made Left Eye burn up Andre Rising <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that, that's the movie that broke up TLC. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're all sitting around waiting for Maria to exhale. But you know what? I bet you Jimmy Pataro, the president of uh, ESPN, I bet you he can't breathe right now. I bet you he can't breathe. Jim. Hold on, let me, let me exhale first. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Wow! You did that there, bro. Yes, I did. And look, I'm gonna be hated when this show's over. If I wasn't <laughs> hated yesterday, I'm gonna be hated when this show's over because I'm not done. But go, can, go ahead, help me out here. I don't ramble. Such a on. word is hated her. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna be hated her? 
I'm gonna be more hated. First of all, more hated blues. Look here, remember that movie, more hated blues, more hated blues, more journalism, more haterism, whatever, man. No journalism, no haterism. Come on, man, stop. Listen, seriously. You I said you've been, I, you've been taking some I'm notes. Taking here. some notes yeah, here because I want to make sure I, I get you right yeah. on this. Yeah. Because I thought this was interesting. You said that ESPN. You said that their mission statement was to serve angry and easily offended black women. Yeah. In every community, anytime, in any way. It sounds like my daddy's job years ago. But go ahead. <laughs> I hope my mama wasn't listening. Good, good help was hard to find, boy. <laughs> Listen, here's my question to you, Jason. Yeah. And I'm serious, because remember, we came, you, you, threw, you threw out names. You said Rosa Parks. Yeah. You, know, you threw out a name, Harriet Tudman. You know, there, there's names of strong black women in our history. Since when the hell did our black women get so damn soft? What? I mean, if Maria's so bad, I mean, what happened to them women? There's money in pretending like you're offended. These damn white executives are running in fear of Twitter. And again, it's like I'm blasting Maria, but at some point I got to start holding these executives feet to the fire. Maybe they're not man enough, woman enough, whatever, to to stand up to these people that are bullying them with the race car. But but see, here's the thing, though. We we always we, we talk about. The race. I wish they would bring this shit to me. You know, I, literally, I keep having fantasies about, you know what, you know what ESPN solution would be? Name me president and watch how quick all this shit stops. What, what would you do different? <laughs> what, what, what would you do if you was at ESPN right now and you had this Maria Taylor sitting in front of you? Serious business. You sitting there right now, you're the president of ESPN. You got Maria this. Taylor wouldn't be sitting in front of me. She'd be sitting in front of Eric Shanks, the president of Fox Sports, or... Uh, I can't think of the dude's name at CBS. That I, she'd be sitting in front of some other executive, not me. She would be to, she would be gone. Three, she'd be let go three weeks early. Okay, and then you'd be the bad guy. I, Jim, I love being the bad guy. You remember Tony Montana? That's I really embrace that. The bad there go the bad guy. Tony Montana actually had the quote. He said, "Say goodbye to the bad guy. There's never gonna be another bad guy like me again." There you go. But that, that, Jason, here's the thing, man. We, we keep talking about this whole Maria Taylor thing, man. And I remember a conversation you and I had a long time ago. And this goes all the way back to Mike Brown. And I remember, and I never, ever will forget this, forget this day because you was the first person. Mike Brown, Ferguson, Missouri, you talking about? Mike Brown, Ferguson, Missouri. And you was the first person that I heard say back then, that Jim, this whole thing is promoted and is promoted by the LGBT. LGBT, yeah. Black Lives Black Matter. Black Lives Matter, yeah. LGBT. This yeah. is what you said, the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, is the yeah. LGBT movement, yeah. And you remember, you and I actually got, you would have thought you and I was at a, at a picnic, at, at a 4th of July picnic, the way that. Yeah, we argued about that. I mean, because, and, and I was serious, man, because yeah. I couldn't, I, I thought that was some of the dumbest shit I'd ever heard you say. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never heard no black man say that. Who, who would dare? But, man, now that I've had a chance to look and, and I've had a chance to evaluate, you might have been right. See, because the original screenplay for this Black Lives Matter, I said Mike Brown, but originally they tried the screenplay with Trayvon Martin. Yes, that's what it started, yeah. That okay, was- and that's that, because this Black Lives Matter thing was about protecting the lives of black men. 
Right? Yeah. Allegedly, yes. So how the hell did we get here? How did we get to this part right here? You ain't gonna answer me? I, you, you can't tell me? How did we get where? The how did we get to this part right here to where we went from the life of a black man matters to we right here right now talking about, oh, I, but Maria Taylor's just as valuable as Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> how did we get here? What happened? I would say, if I'm following you correctly, we've been divided and conquered. It's not just ESPN, man. It's what you said. It's that whole alphabet mafia. It's that whole group right there, man. See, I'm going to tell you what. I thought that when we first started this conversation, I thought I was joking. When we were saying, I used to say, I said, Maria Taylor going to get that money. Yeah. I was joking saying that. And, man, I've been sitting here thinking, man, you know what? She might win this whole thing with ESPN. She might win this whole, she might pull this shit off. She has every letter in the alphabet behind her now. <laughs> she got the BLM. She got the LGBTQ. She got the NAACP. NABJ. NABJ, National Association of Black Maria is about to do what these young kids say. She about to make off with this bag. She about to get the money. Hey, man, Maria might be in the process, whether y'all realize this or not, she might be in the process of getting ready to come off with one of the biggest paydays in sports. Maria, if you want to compare her to somebody, man, Maria Taylor is Jada Pinkett Smith from the movie Set It Off. <laughs> <laughs> they done ran a heist. Oh, oh for what? Refresh my memory on I've seen Set It Off, but it's been years ago. Who was Jada Arby, Pinkett Smith? Well, Explain the movie Set It Off and Jada Pinkett Smith. The movie Set It Off was about four black women struggling. Did the same thing that you hear, four underprivileged black women, and they it was, decided. It was waiting to exhale with guns. Waiting to exhale with guns. <laughs> there you go. Waiting to, uh, waiting to exhale part two. <laughs> with guns. With guns. With AKL. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and the bottom line was they decided, you know, life is treating us bad, and uh, the best way to get ahead of this is to go out and rob some banks. And the God led, they, they robbed one or two banks, but then it got good to them. They needed to rob four or five. Bottom line was, at the end of the story, because it's always one person that gets away. It's always one person to get away with the money. That was Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett got away with the money. That's what Maria Taylor's going to do. Now. So you're calling uh, Jamel Hill Queen Latifah. No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that's your girl, Rachel. Rachel Nichols is Queen Latifah. Yeah, that's Queen Latifah. <laughs> she going out like a G. She said if she did like this, she said. She know the media was coming for it. <laughs> she hit the switches on the shit. <laughs> she knows she getting ready to take that fire. She said. <laughs> that Rachel like. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing, man. It's like this here, man. She went out. Rachel Nichols was going out with her guns ablazing. You know, you know, y'all say that this is a man's world, right? Y'all say that this is a dog eat dog business, right? Jason, for real, for real, you, do, you, do, you don't realize this, but Maria Taylor's playing the shit out of this hand that life gave her. She's playing this shit. Say what you want to. Hey, man, Maria Taylor is playing bid whiz. And if she turns two more books, you know what she's going to do? She's going to run a Boston on y'all's ass. <laughs> y'all are about to let a woman run a 
Boston on a table full of men. Y'all need to be ashamed of y'all damn self. Ain't nowhere in the hell I'd allow that to happen back well, in my I, day. Just like I said, if I were hey, in Mer- control, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> Let me tell you something real quick. Stephen A., I'm here to tell you right now, Maria's about to be the new HNRC at ESPN. You mark my words. <laughs> he about to learn. All right. I think I'm going to start some more trouble. Why not? Hell, it uh, can't get no worse than what we done did already. I, before I do, don't forget to subscribe. Go to YouTube.com slash Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notifications button. Uh, but I'm about to go in on Shakari Richardson and this oh, whole movement boy. around her. I'm going to be hated when this show's over. Hated her. Hated her. More hated, whatever, <laughs> when this is all over. Don't go anywhere. I got another fire starter coming up. What happened, Mike? Shakari Richardson and the weed smoke. I'm about to blow this whole thing up. Next! Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. All right, we just set one fire. Let's start a second one. Let's move to the Olympics and that controversy engulfing Shikari Richardson. All right, the Shikari Richardson outrage pity party began as a story about white privilege. Richardson, of course, is the black American sprinter who won the 100-meter dash at the Olympic trials and immediately tested positive for marijuana and received a one-month suspension. The suspension eliminates her from competing in the 100 at the Tokyo Games. Social media framed her suspension as an example of systemic racism. The Twitter mob said that former white Olympic swimming stars Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte were never treated this harshly. Unfortunately, the facts said otherwise. In 2009, Phelps received a three-month suspension when a picture surfaced of him sucking on a marijuana bomb. A picture, not a positive test, earned Phelps a long suspension. In 2016, at the Rio Olympics, Lochte earned a 10-month suspension when Brazilian authorities and NBC weatherman Al Roker falsely claimed Lochte lied about being robbed outside a Rio gas station by men posing as police. So far, the race card has failed to protect Shikari Richardson. Her defenders are spicing up their attacks, especially in the aftermath of USA Track and Field declining to name Richardson to the 4x100 relay team, an Olympic event that would transpire after the expiration of her 30-day suspension. The Washington Post published a column yesterday defending Richardson. It was titled, Shikari Richardson was punished for her humanity, but it only makes her more impressive. Getting busted for drugs makes her more more of a human. All right, here's a quote from the story. Richardson's trip across the Olympic stage has been meteoric, and not just because of the way her orange hair streamed behind her on the track. Her trajectory was brilliant and over too soon for reasons that strike many observers as profoundly unfair. Unlike Lance Armstrong and Barry Bonds, who relied on performance-enhancing drugs to dominate their sports, Richardson used marijuana for relief from what she described as emotional panic, following her biological mother's death. 
Richardson wasn't making a false claim to excellence. She made the, the sort of decision any 21-year-old might have made in painful, high-pressure circumstances. Better stop with this voice. <laughs> Jim, I'm just trying to do it justice. Clear. Allison, I, think, I think her name is Alyssa Rosenberg, wrote the story. I just want to do it justice. But I, I just want... So I used to be 21. I've been through some high-pressure moments and some adversity. I used to be 21, and I've been in some high situations. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I just think we're trying to pretend like every 21-year-old, oh my God, they go through some adversity and oh, you must use weed or alcohol to get through it. Who wouldn't understand? I know a lot of 21-year-olds that turn to God, turn to their family, parents, whatever. But we want to teach everybody to self-medicate oh, who, with drugs. Who's that God guy? What's that God guy you talking about? Who is that? Who? Oh, God yeah. guy. Jesus. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Smoking weed is an expression of humanity now. We've decided marijuana is harmless. It's the new coffee. I wouldn't even say coffee's harmless. But anyway, a half million people have signed a petition to have Richardson reinstated to the Olympic team. Celebrities such as Dwayne Wade, Odell Beckham Jr., Cardi B. Patrick Mahomey, Seth Rogen, Gabrielle Union, they've all jumped. And to all defend. the other weed smokers in Hollywood, <laughs> go ahead. They've all jumped to defend Richardson. The authors of the petition and Congresswoman Alexandria Cortez Ocasio say that banning Richardson over the use of marijuana is an extension of the racist war on drug policies enacted by the U.S. government in the early 1970s. Let me quote directly from the petition, and I believe this is from Move On. Quote, the imposition of a penalty against a world-class black queer woman athlete is powerfully and infuriatingly reminiscent of the way drug laws are regularly applied in the United States. Recreational marijuana use has been de facto legal for upper middle class white people for years. Something more states are recognizing as they legalize marijuana for all people and consider how to repair the damage done to black and brown communities by decades of the war on drugs. Did you know that when police, and Jim used to be in law enforcement, did you know that when they went out and enforced drug laws and marijuana, <laughs> are you queer or not? Used to be the first question when they when they knock down the door and come through, they'd ask, are you queer? Queers, get on the ground! <laughs> <laughs> Is that what y'all used to do? I mean, I... <sighs> As the lone sports journalist to ever write <clears throat> and report substantively on the negative impact of America's drug war, I think we've gone overboard in portraying marijuana as harmless. It's the equivalent of portraying alcohol as harmless. Marijuana and alcohol are not harmless, and I have a long history with both. My dad owned a bar most of my life. In college, I was a casual marijuana user and a heavy drinker. I'm not some uptight prude. But studies have shown that 60% of violent criminals test positive for illegal drugs. You toss in alcohol and the overwhelming majority of violent crime can be linked to a perpetrator in an altered mental state. Marijuana and liquor are crime's best friend. 
talk to any gangbanger. And I have through my relationship with Jim Brown and his Amera I Can program. And you will learn that most gang violence is done under the influence of Sherm. Marijuana cigarettes dipped in PCP. They talk about it in all the rap songs. Just, you can talk to anybody. These dudes get high before they do all that violent dirt. America's prisons are not filled with drug users. They're filled with violent criminals fueled by drugs. There are approximately 120 federal prisons and 1,700 state prisons. In general, federal prisons house drug offenders and white collar criminals. In general, state prisons house murderers, rapists, robbers, and other violent criminals. So just let's pause for a moment. Did you get that math? PD. 120 federal prisoner, prisons for drug users and white collar crime, 1,700 prisons for violent criminals. Look, I love Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration, and blah, but it's exaggerated. These prisons aren't filled with harmless drug users. They're filled with drug users who are high on drugs. <laughs> They're users who are high on drugs. <laughs> you, you, you went out on the limb on that. They're filled with drug users <laughs> who commit violent acts. You Everybody right, knows you that. was right the first time. Go ahead. It's the violent drug users who have overcrowded our prisons. I'm losing my damn earpiece because I keep yanking around. Marijuana use is not harmless, Jim. It's another tool in the satanic promotion of do, do what thou wilt. That's our new American society. Do what thou wilt. I don't feel sorry for Shakari Richardson. She's a member of the Alphabet Mafia, the LGBTQI plus BLM plus NAACP Mafia. There's a system in place to support her. The fact that she wasn't named to the 4x100 relay team should be a red flag to all of her casual defenders. That's a choice the people who know her best made. Her peers, her direct supervisors could fall right in line with everybody else and demand that she be placed on the relay team. It's a crime what happened to Shakari Richardson. I wonder why they haven't done that. Are they racist? Are they homophobic? From the fake red hair to the fake eyelashes to the fake fingernails, Shakari Richardson looks like the type of person who will cut corners to achieve her goal. Anybody been following track and field? You know what people do in track and field to get ahead, to get that gold medal, to get that money, to chase that bag? I found it ironic that the Washington Post column referenced Barry Bonds and Lance Armstrong. Wow. Well, they know what she was they doing. might be trying to tell you something. I'm Thank sorry. you. How many athletes must get busted cutting corners before we're allowed to question the Shakari Richardson story? People who know her best don't want her on the Olympic team. They made that quite clear with their choice to deny her a spot on the relay team. Chikari is a prop in the do what thou wilt army. Jim, I told you they're gonna hate me when this is over. Wow. I'm gonna keep starting fires till we burn all this hypocrisy and stupidity down. 
I, one thing I love about you, man, you are not in this thing to make friends, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you you just ain't trying to make no friends. Hey, Whitlock, I want to get over there with you. Nah. <laughs> Andrew, I'm proud of you, man, honestly. Look, look. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Because since we talking in this wokeity-woke era. Yeah. These wokeity woke people to tell you that back in the day, they loved to holler about slavery. You know, they tell you about how they used us to pick cotton, right? Do you know that the, the set, I don't know, another product that they used to use us for, that they made money off of, off of us with, was tobacco. That was one of the number one products that they also used us for was tobacco. That's how your Raleigh's, uh, Reynolds, A.J. Reynolds and all them got into effect. Well, what I think I'm trying to say is nowadays, whether you realize or not, that's that's what we said made them rich. We still making them rich. We still now we just marijuana is just our drug of choice. And it's okay to you know, it's all right, man. I I don't I don't like that, man. You know, to me, honestly, Jason, can you truthfully say that this isn't just another marketing ploy? Just to I mean, come on, man, we just left California. There, there, there was a dispens- there, there was a, there was a dispensary on every corner. <laughs> I'm telling you, marijuana is the new tobacco. Folks are smoking. Marijuana s- is a tobacco, but I it's hear the you. new tobacco. You, hey man, I'm gonna tell you right now. I, I'm not, I'll speak for myself. I'd rather be around somebody smoking a joint than somebody smoking a cigarette. It's the new society. I mean, it's. I think people both- look at you harder smoking a cigarette than they do you smoking a joint. Got you. I, I agree, but my point, and, and just having been in law enforcement, Jim, you cannot deny my point that we keep trying to act like marijuana use is harmless and all alcohol, drug, any everybody getting high is the new normal. There's a cost to that. People that alter their minds do criminal things, dumb things, drunk driving, high when driving, kill somebody. And then, again, they, they'll take an incident with a loved one or someone close to them. It escalates when your mind is altered. And a lot of guys sitting in prison, sitting in jail, by the time they sober up and get in their right mind, they realize the stupidity of what they've done. But when you're high every day and every decision you make is a high decision, that's how mistakes pile up on top of each other. That's how baby mamas and everything pile up on top of each other because your mind is altered all the time. You never think clearly. This stuff, there's a cost to it. There's a cost to a lot of, there's a cost to everything. I mean, remember, okay, but here's the thing. We talk about these kids, but now we, we remember back in the day, Jason, remember back in the day, um, wasn't not too long ago, we was teaching kids it was fun to say, we told kids, you roll down the street, smoking Indo, sipping on drink, Jimmy, Jimmy Juice. You know what I'm saying? That's a great, that, 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 they said that's a great song. Uh, uh, that's a great song, all right? It's also a great way to get your ass pulled over by the police. Okay? I mean, straight up. I mean, but, but we and, t- and to not only just get pulled over, Jim, but overreact when you get pulled over. We keep looking. We don't have to go any farther than St. George Floyd. If he were sober, do you think he would have had that long resisting engagement with police if he wasn't high on drugs? If he was sober, he wouldn't have been able to fight that long. Trust me. 
Trust me. There you, great point that people don't consider. You go look at Jacob Blake and how he handled that whole situation there. I, I, I don't know. I'm speculating, but was he high? He certainly acted like it. Any man that would, police would have guns drawn and you would run into or move towards your car where your two kids are. My question is, what is, is this dude high? And when I look at a lot of these interactions and engagements with, with different people, I'm like, these, they're in an altered mindset. They're not thinking rationally. When the police pull me over and I'm sober, my first reaction is let me get my license, let me get my registration, and let me get my uh, insurance, and I'm going to hang it out the window. I, I really have no... You don't wonder where you, where, where you hid your dope at? No, and I don't really have any You don't worry about whether you got some guns in the car? No, and you I don't... don't worry about if you got warrants? No, and I don't. They told us we supposed to do. And I don't worry. I'm really not interested in talking to the police. They caught me doing something. Here's my information. Do what thou wilt. (laughs) Jason, society's running the game on our black people, man. Just what you said. Society's telling our people, do as thou wilt. They telling people, you want to smoke weed? Smoke weed. But go ahead and smoke the weed. But you know, once you get that, you land that idea, dream job. Don't be mad when you go to work one day and they play that old grammar school, that old elementary school game. Remember that game where they say, brother, may I see you pee? (laughs) And hand you that cup. Don't get mad. Don't say, oh, they just did that to me because they was being racist. Oh, they're just the rules. Hey, man, black people love to complain about not getting job opportunities. And what we do, man, truthfully, smoking weed is one of the things that we do that we literally disqualify ourselves from the game. You literally go apply for a job, and the man that's interviewing you turns into Jason Whitlock. The man that's interviewing you says, uh, do you smoke weed? You go, yes. The man goes, next! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Seriously, man. Some people say that smoking weed is harmless. They say it's, it's nothing to it. Do you know the only thing in the world that's more profitable right now than we is weave. <laughs> okay. Weave. So I'm telling you right now, you, you act like weed is harmless. Hey man, let me tell you something. This girl, what's her name? Cher- Cherry Richardson? Shakari. Yeah, Shakari Richardson. You know, honestly, Jay, this girl might've smoked about a 10, she might've smoked the most expensive blunt in history. She smoked about a $10 million blunt. When you think about the money she's gonna lose, the endorsements that she's gonna lose, Come on, man. She was getting ready to get endorsements. I got it written right here. She was getting ready. To, she, she was getting ready to get endorsements from from. She was going to get weave deals. <laughs> she was getting ready to get eyelash deals. She was getting ready to get endorsements on, on, on discounts on Chinese food from DoorDash. <laughs> she was about to make it off, man. Finger that, that's got to be worth what? Six, seven million right there. <laughs> sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's got to be worth six or seven yen right there. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you know, but I guess now, really, I think Shakara might have. I think now, what she's telling, I think she want to be a rapper. I mean, she's smoking. We she don't be no. She, if you want to run track, you she want to be a rapper. You know. Oh, who is she? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure she Shikari gonna go, B. She gonna go do a remix. She gonna be singing the song talking about. I was supposed to win the Olympics, but then I got high. I was supposed to get a weave endorsement, but then I got high. <laughs> Now they screaming racism, and you know that's a lie. Why, man? Because I got high. Because I got high. 
<laughs> because I got high. And now all of her friends talk about. <laughs> what you complaining about? Uh, you can't run the Olympics because you got high. <laughs> tell me that I know the song, but tell me the, the real song that that's based off of. Because I got high. <laughs> My Afro man. <laughs> that's the name of the song. Is it really? Because I got high. 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 That's pretty now, the, But the, but the remix is going to be by Cherry. <laughs> Terry Richardson, that is. Watch how fast she rides to the top. <laughs> All right, don't go anywhere. Go to youtube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe and notification button. Leave a comment. I like to read the comments. I may even, res- I may even respond. All right, coming up, we're going to go out to Chicago and talk with Greg Couch about tennis star Naomi Osaka, who has a new documentary coming out. After telling the world she couldn't talk to the media, she wants to talk to the media now. All that and more. Next! Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. We're going to roll out to uh, Chicago and bring in our contributor, Greg Couch, to talk about Naomi Osaka, the tennis star who uh, has a new Netflix documentary coming out that she did in conjunction with LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Uh, I think it points to a little bit of hypocrisy about Osaka and this mental health issue and why she can't speak to reporters, but let's take a look at the commercial promoting the documentary. No one really knows all the sacrifices that you make just to be good. Before I won US Open, so many people told my dad that I would never be anything. Naomi, she was like an overnight superstar. And I think that pressure weighed heavily on her. I think the amount of attention that I get is kind of ridiculous. No one prepares me for that. All right, welcome back. That was the Naomi Osaka documentary. Let's roll out to Chicago and bring in Greg Couch, uh, our fearless sports writer and longtime tennis writer, former tennis player, now a college tennis coach. Greg, this is a topic right up your alley. You wrote a column today uh, for The Blaze. I want to read the first two paragraphs from it. Uh, When last we heard from Naomi Osaka, she was asking for private time to take care of her mental health. People didn't know how shy and introverted she really is, said Osaka, the world's most marketed and endorsed and richest female athlete. She dropped out of two major tennis championships, not only for herself, but also for the selfless act of raising awareness of others with mental health issues. Right? And it turns out that fortunately she was consulting with Dr. LeBron James and his friend and advisor, Dr. Maverick Carter, all along. They were there for her privacy with cameras rolling. James and Carter are the executive producers. We now find out, thanks to a tweet from James, of a documentary about Osaka. It will be released on July 16th, the same day as Space Jam, a new legacy, where we'll see James play Robin to Bugs Bunny's Batman. Greg... It sounds like if I understand your comment, you're calling a little BS on Naomi Osaka and her, I can't handle talking to the media 
uh, elaborate? Well, she starts off by saying, uh, before the French Open, by saying, I'm on social media. I'm not going to talk to the reporters during the French Open, which is a requirement. You have to do it. The tournament requires it. The tour requires it. They want their product to be you know, promoted around the world. And, and she actually just blamed the media. She said, we've seen the media. They beat up on people. They ask repetitive questions. And, and so it's ridiculous that they make me do this. Uh, she never talked about her own mental issues or her own social, um, uh, you know, <laughs> mental problems, uh, mental health issues. She just talked about the media. She wasn't talking about herself at all. And so she can't do these things. Eventually, she came around and said, I can't do these things. I've got depression. I've got anxiety. And, and I'm, not, I'm not doubting that she has those, those things. But she seems to be able to do all of the things that her endorsers want her to do. She has $50 million in endorsements per year. They've been promoting her for two years as the face of the Olympics. And she can't talk to the reporters at the French Open, but she's okay talking to the reporters at the Olympics because it's just a bad look. It looks like her endorsers are, are pulling all the strings for her. So, you know, I feel uncomfortable saying that someone is not being truthful about, you know, mental health issues because who am I to say that? But the way she behaves because of the way she's being handled, it suggests that she's dishonest and it's, it's just hard to believe. Greg, when I first heard this story, at the French Open, not that I was there, when she was at the French Open, when I first heard this story, my first thoughts were like, mm, I think she may be out over her skis trying to be this social justice warrior. I think like a lot of athletes today addicted to social media, a lot of athletes with ties to Nike, uh, they all wanna be social justice activists, but I'm looking at a tennis player who's I, she's half Asian and half black. I, I think if I got that right, she's yeah. grown up on a tennis court. I don't think she grew up on the south side of Chicago or on the far east side of Indianapolis, where I'm from, uh, dealing with a lot of black people. She grew up on a tennis court. And I'm like, how's this person going to be a social justice activist, particularly on any of these racial issues? Is she in over her head trying to be some sort of social justice activist? Yes, she's in over her head, but I don't know that she's beyond her intelligence level. I think she's just hooked up with Nike and all these endorsers. And <clears throat> in some ways, I can understand it. If someone wants to give me $50 million, I might start listening to them also. But, uh, you know, social justice <laughs> has to come from your heart. You, you have to be doing something because you believe in it. Not because, you know, your your corporate leaders tell you to do it. I mean, you know, I have the same problem with LeBron. You know, he, he doesn't talk about, he won't say a negative word about China, you know, because Nike uses China for all of its, you know, to build, to make its, you know, gear and attire and things like that. So it's just hard to believe. It's hard to accept someone when it's not coming from their heart. You know, I think she'd be better off just winging it and making some mistakes, you know. I mean, like, you can look at... Uh, how can I say, I think, you know, my son is a musician and he talks about if you're singing and you're not perfectly in tune, it comes across genuine. But if it's auto-tuned and it's, everything's corrected, then it's perfect and it just doesn't sound right, even though it's perfect. And so I think she's trying to have this sort of perfected approach to, to you know, to, to being a good human being. I mean, I believe that in her heart, she's trying to do the right thing. I also believe that LeBron in his heart is trying 
to do the right thing. But he's also answering, and she's also answering, to Nike and all her $50 million of endorsers, which is why she can't talk to a small group in a small room of reporters at the French Open, but she's fine talking to the whole world's media at the Olympics. I know it's easier for me to say this, being black, being a former athlete, but look, you're a former athlete, former tennis player. You coach and deal with young athletes now as a college tennis coach. I just haven't, even when I was an athlete, I just didn't meet very many athletes that I thought were extremely versed, insightful, provocative, interesting, or informed (laughs) on these really complex societal issues, particularly built around race. I think we all have opinions, but a lot of it really uninformed and it's off the top of our heads. And so I'm just someone, Greg, that I, I wish the athletes would shut up and dribble talk about their their issues related to their games that they could talk about that they're actually informed on rather than them trying to take on these great societal issues and be, I'm going to be baby Muhammad Ali or baby Arthur Ashe. Those are rare people. And now I'm saying everybody wants to do it. Everybody can't. I, I, I don't I know. Again, it's it's a little bit more difficult for you, but the athletes you're dealing with, you think any of them are built to be thought leaders on these really complex topics? Well, that's a really interesting thing you're asking me. You're right. I do deal with college age students and uh, I think some of them have the intelligence and some of them have the passion, but they might not know how to make how to, how to get the message across. In fact, the woman who's my team captain, I have a, a woman who's a team captain for the men's and women's team. I think she's highly intelligent and highly passionate. And yet she's not overly vocal. I mean, so I, I, she's, you know, she's capable of doing these things. But something would seem to be missing, you know, with all of these athletes, as I try to think about it now, uh, you know, some of them don't have the passion about it. And some of them just sort of you know, have, <laughs> they all seem to be missing something to be able to be that sort of a great leader, like you're saying. I mean, not everybody can be Muhammad Ali. Nobody can. But, you know, <laughs> but I think that with this, with the, you know, social media culture here, I think that they're, you know, in a, in a culture where they're expected to give their opinions. And also they're pressured to give their opinions and to stand up for liberal causes, actually. But, uh, um, so I think it's hard for them to not stand up for these things and say it, even if they're not prepared. When you're talking about Naomi Osaka, I, I mean, she, I don't know if she's capable or not. I would assume she is. I believe she's a good human being. I believe she's an intel- probably an intelligent woman. I've only met her once or twice, but, you know, she's just, she just sort of, it, it's, it's a bad look. It's not only is it a bad look for social justice, but it's also a bad look for a woman athlete or any athlete, but for particularly for a woman to let these men uh, image makers control her and, and tell her what to do and what to say. That's not really the message I would like for, for my daughter to hear or for the, the, the women's team, my women's team or any young girls out there. And yet Naomi Osaka could be an amazing uh, role model for or maybe that's a bad choice of words, but she could be an amazing example for, for all young girls out there. She's strong. She's athletic. She's smart. You know, she's talented. You know, she could be very important. She could she could be hugely important to the to the whole world. Instead, she's trying to do it through an avenue that just just isn't right and isn't believable. 
right, I, I wanna I wanna stick right there with you because you in your column, you indicated she wants to be important, and and I'm trying to figure out. You honestly think she has all the capabilities necessary to be important at age 20, 21, whatever she is. Again, it seems like that's a burden placed on her. Why not just be the best tennis player you can be and worry about being important later? Is there any, you're right there in Chicago, Jordan focused on being the best basketball player he could be. And, you know, I thought it was a good formula. I don't even think Muhammad Ali really wanted to be important. He wanted to be a great boxer, and that made him important. Again, if she just stuck to tennis and dominated there, that would make her important. But, but, you know, again, I'm just not sure if she's really built to be important. Well, I shouldn't, I'm not trying to imply that she is capable. I'm just trying to say that I don't know that she's not capable. But I think you make a great point. I mean, she should... She should be a tennis player, and you're right. The the, the greater she is, uh, you know, the the more more relevance she'll have to the world just through her own actions. And maybe as she gets older and more seasoned, she can she be better prepared to stand up for herself, you know. But um, <laughs> you know, I just feel you know that you know just she just has to stop listening to Nike all the time. I, I mean, I, I I guess what you're saying is she should just stick to tennis. And I guess I'm going to have to say I agree with you on that. How about this? She probably, the picture has been painted for her. Man, look what Serena Williams did. She was a great dominant tennis player, but, you know, she, was, she crip walked at the Olympics. She stood for really important things. Uh, you know, she, she said she went on TV and said that she was worried about her nephews getting gunned down by police. Uh, You know, look how important Serena Williams is. She stood for all the right things and said a lot of silly shit that no one ever questioned because, you know, as an athlete, once you win a bunch of titles and if you got the right complexion, it doesn't matter what you say. The media will do the rest. So just pretend and go along to get along. That's what I see. They're trying to turn her into the next Serena Williams. And I just... She's not, she ain't got Richard Williams. She didn't grow up in South Central L.A. like Serena did. There's a lot of little extra things that Serena had that allowed her to say stupid stuff and get away with it that Naomi doesn't have. Well, I agree. But, I mean, she's just being mishandled because the, the corporations and, and the people who want to make money out of her are setting her up to, to, to try to be the next Serena. And she's going along with it, but I mean, she's kind of being duped in my opinion. I mean, she might have a good heart. I think she probably has a good heart and wants to take advantage. She's probably being told, hey, you can be meaningful, you can be valuable, and she's going, great, that's what I want. But I think it's also part of the social, uh, of, of social media. I mean, I think there's pressure from probably her peers and from her, you know, her fans and everyone else to stand up and, and say something. And I just think there's a it's a different era than Michael Jordan, where he could he could just say, you know, Republicans buy shoes, too. And, and he can get away with that. I don't think it's quite as easy for today's athletes to get away with that, even though I'm sitting here saying I wish you'd try to. Uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm saying to sort of separate <laughs> yourself from these image makers. But I don't know that it's quite as easy as what I'm just saying.
I can't remember, Greg, if we talked. HBO, I thought, did a decent, interesting, or Netflix or Amazon. Somebody did a good documentary on Tiger Woods Mm -hmm. uh, recently. And I can't remember if you and I talked about it or if you even watched it. But at one, you did not watch it? No, but I mean, I was writing about him. I was a golf writer when he was coming up, so I can probably... Talk about what you're about to say, the champion of all yeah, causes. Yeah, you were the thing. first person. Yeah. Yeah, you were there when he made the comment about being Coblin agent. But in this documentary, yeah. what they actually showed you was that Nike came up with the idea for Tiger Woods to lean into race. That Tiger and his dad were uncomfortable and that Nike ran over them. And yeah. and you, you during this documentary, you they showed actual footage of the meetings that they were having about how Nike was going to portray Tiger Woods and lean him into this race thing. And and uh, I can remember one of the people, the experts, or Nike people was like, you know, he's with Nike now, and we're gonna do this. And and, and again, I I don't think people realize how influential and how Nike is the true puppet master of American sports culture. Here was Tiger Woods, uncomfortable. He's Cobbled Asian. He done grew up on a golf course, him and his dad and a bunch of white people. And the next thing you know, Nike says, hey, we're going to make you a racial trailblazer. And it's it's a job that did not fit Tiger Woods. And I give him credit. I think he withstood the pressure better than everybody else. Nike pushed him in that lane, but I never saw Tiger really lean into it. I think you're right. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable saying that he withstood the pressure, considering that he basically blew up his 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 life for several years there out of his own doing. But I do remember uh, back then when uh, Nike put a commercial that on it. Sex. Had, we all do that. <laughs> I do remember Tiger had a commercial uh, uh, with uh, where they're showing him on a golf course, and he's either dreaming about or seeing video of. I can't remember what it was of Teddy Rhodes, who was a. a sort of a, a legendary pioneer for black golf. I think he played on the black golf tours. Believe it or not, they used to have such a thing and play on the public courses only. And then he was finally uh, allowed to play in the, on the, you know, on the tour, regular tour. So, I mean, they really put Tiger in a place where he didn't belong. And in fact, you're, when you're talking about him saying he's Coblin Asian, that was on the Oprah Winfrey show. And, and I was in the odd, I was, they, they'd asked me to, to come watch it because <clears throat> I was a columnist in Chicago. And so I was watching that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, he said, "I'm you know, Kabbalan Asian, Caucasian, Black, Indian, Asian," and I think he was basically addressing that. You know, don't look at me as 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 one thing. And <laughs> sure enough, the you know, I wrote the column about it that next day. It was on the front page of the Sun Times, and next thing you know, Howard Stern was talking about it, and Dan Rather, and it went big time. And uh, basically, it was, "Hey, this black golfer doesn't consider himself black." I mean, even the media were just considering him black, and. Uh, it was just really uh, <clears throat> just a <laughs> just you're just making me remember now this how this all went down and how he was sort of forced into something that he was basically saying, don't force me into this. But you're right. He did withstand it. And uh, and uh, hmm. got to give him credit. He was a strong young man. In some ways. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Thank, look, he got the weakness that a, a, every guy I know has. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, Jimmy, I mean, real real talk. 
I, did you watch that documentary? Because I, 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 I haven't seen. You told me to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I told everybody to watch it because Tiger Woods knew exactly who he was, and Nike and the sports media tried to turn him into something that he wasn't. And Tiger Woods, given his actual heritage, because I don't even think his father was full black. His mama, I think, was Thai, or is Thai. This and the way he grew up and who he was dealing with, we should have never forced this burden of unapologetically black or represent black causes. That's not who Tiger is or was. Right. And, and so it's all we want these people to be things that they're not. And, and, and then we get upset with them. And, and that's People wonder have why I've never abandoned Tiger as my favorite athlete of all time. He, he it was so important to me and my dad. Uh, and and again, we were into the fact that hey, Tiger's black and he's doing this in golf, and we latched onto that. Even though Tiger didn't want it or whatever, we gave it to him and supported him the same way. But I'm as I've matured and gotten older, I've come to respect. Tiger's decision and the way that he lives his life authentically. Right, right. If this dude likes blonde-haired white women, and he, you know, hats off to him, have at it, Tiger. Don't live up to some standard that the rest of America wants to put on you. Like who you like, uh, who you're comfortable with, you know, who you grew up with. I got no problem with that. For Tiger Woods, and we should get up off his back, just like we're trying to force this Naomi Osaka into a lane she's not comfortable with. I, I keep Colin Kaepernick trying to run in a lane that ain't him. We gotta let, you know, it's like we want to let everybody be unapologetically and out of the closet gay. Mm-hmm. Let's let some of these African Americans out of the closet and let them be African Americans. Right, let, right. Let's quit. Let's quit dictating black Barack Obama. He's black. Barack Obama was raised by white people, man. Yeah, we need to cut it out. Just I don't even know if this man knew his black daddy, his white grandparents raised him. Barack Obama didn't grow up the way I grew up. He didn't grow up the way you grew up. And 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 I don't say that to diminish him, but we need to let this man be authentic to who he is. He's not a thoroughbred. My mother talks about this all the time. He said that. My mother talks about this all, and she's 100% right. Thoroughbreds grow up different and have a whole different point of view. Thoroughbred. Well, I get it, but I'm saying we'll grow up different. And it, 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 it's not a coincidence, and I'm not, because Jim, I mean, you know how I get down. Everybody knows how I get down. I ain't got no problem with interracial dating. Everybody, I'm not trying to diminish that. But, but don't put them standards that I carry, you carry, don't put them on. Mixed race kids. It's, it's, it's a burden they can't handle. Yeah, I agree. And I think we saw that firsthand with Tiger. Because when he was presented with that, and he was presented, it was shown in his face that uh, he had a problem with white women. He's never won a golf match since. <laughs> he has won. He ain't won a match since. He won a match since. Look, a I'm trying ago. to tell you. I, what I learned from Tiger, yeah. Tiger won them matches by having white women. Yeah. He had that wreck and whatever happened. His wife beat him with that damn golf club, ran all them white women out of his life. He ain't won another match since. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. 
She ain't ran him out of his life, but I hear one target to get back right, put him with them girls, just shining bright white. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting you to go there. All right, we're going to get out of here. Don't forget to subscribe. Go to the YouTube.com slash Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit the subscribe and the notifications button. All right, when we come back, we're going to get to our approval rating of Shikari Richardson, the Olympic sprinter. All that and more. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It's almost time to wrap up today's show with our approval rating. But before we do, Jimmy, uh, yesterday your little Bible story went so well that, uh, you know, I kind of want to do a a bedtime Bible story with Uncle Jimmy almost every day. Do you have another Bible story for us? I mean, the one you told yesterday about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, pretty good. Jason, first of all, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know if I'm quite that versed in the Bible to know one every day. I mean, look, oh. I mean, if you count how many times we actually go to church, Christmas, Easter, <laughs> and I got about eight more stories left in me. New Year's Eve. <laughs> That's about it. But yeah. no, I do have one for you. I do have one for you. And... I'm a, today, I'm going to tell you the story about Lot. You ever heard the story about Lot? Lot. Ronnie Lot? Not Ronnie Lot. Oh. This is the story about Lot. You ever heard the story about Lot? No, I have not. Okay, then you're going to enjoy this story. And now, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase this story a little bit, as I do, because I don't, I don't want people, oh, that ain't what happened. Basically, the story with Lot, unless I'm mistaken, it happened during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, you're familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, we're living in it right now. Go you're ahead. You're familiar with what was going on. That's my point. That's you are familiar. Time. Yeah, that's the time we're living in now. That's the times that we're living in right now. Well, and I'm glad you said that because and that's the reason I chose to use this story because that's my problem with a lot of young people. They think that what they're doing right now is brand new. They think that ain't. This ain't, oh, this, we ain't never, we are free. Hey, we ain't never been this free. Man, this mess been going on since the beginning of time. You understand me? And that's what happened with this deal with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. The world had just pretty much got out of control. God's like, man, I can't do this. And I could go on to the story that God told, God, God said, hey, man, get me, get, get me some good people. They couldn't find them. Pretty, much, pretty soon it just came down to the fact, that, hey, man. God sent angels to tell Lot, hey, man, I'm going to burn this city down. I'm tired of this. He told Lot, hey, man, get your peoples, get your family, and get out. Now, this is where the story gets good at, and this is why I'm telling you this story, because I was honest to goodness. I was reading this story in the Bible, and I read this. I had to go, what? The town, the men from the town come to Lot's house, bang on Lot's door and say, hey, hey, man, we seen them angels just come here said, send them boy angels out here so that we might have sex with them. Now, listen to me again. Now, man running around thinking he freaky deaky. It said in the Bible, and it says it. They told him, send them boy angels out here that we might have sex with them. I don't even know how you even let that come out your mouth. Okay? But you know what Lot said? No, these these angels are my guests sent to me from afar. I tell you what I do. I send my virgin daughters out there to you that you might have sex with them. Hmm. Nah, we seen them daughters of yours. We don't want them. <laughs> we want them boy angels. And we ain't leaving until we get them. It got so bad, man, God had to put a sleep over the 
over the city just so Lot could get his family out so he can do what he had to do. Lot. God told Lot, hey, man, what we going to do? Get your family. Leave. Whatever you do, don't look back. See, because God's telling him, I'm about to do some business here. Right? You, don't, you ain't going to want to see what I'm about to do to these folks for they sinning that they going to do. Sure enough, when I say go, go. Boom! Got Lot and his family's running. Boom, 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 boom. You know, whatever's going on back there is going on. What did Lot tell? What, what did God tell Lot? What did he tell the family? Don't look back. Who looked back? Lot's wife. <laughs> tell me. <laughs> she right there today. God turned her ass into a pillar of salt right then and there. And you know what, Joe, what, 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 what Lot did? Because he's running. Lot's doing what he's supposed to do. That, that happened, right? You know what Lot did? Lot like stopped and looked up at God and said, I told you she don't listen. <laughs> Kept on running. <laughs> That's your Bible story for the day. We as men need to be more concerned about listening to what God says. And if our wives don't want to listen, if whoever don't want to listen, you better let them turn into a pill of salt or you be right there with them. You better go over and do what God tell you to do. That's my story for you today, man. It's a good story, Jim. It's a good story. It's a good Bible story. I can't wait till tomorrow. We may have- Send them boy angels out here so that we might have sex with them. I know you don't believe me. You think I'm making that oh, up. I'm gonna- Jason, that is, man, that is the most perverted verse I've ever heard in the Bible. I, what? Are you? That's why they tell you to take a Bible to church with you. Because you got any line. That's what it said. All right, Jim, let's move to our approval rating. Good sermon. Good. Uh, well, and our approval rating segment for Shikari Richardson. For those of you first time tuning in, we have four different scores on the approval rating for job performance, character, authenticity and it factor. Each is rated on a scale of one to twenty five. We add the four scores up. There's your approval rating. Uh, somewhere above 70 is pretty good. It's like anybody's approval rating. And somewhere below 50 is considered a dumpster fire. You're in, uh, like, Joe Biden Trump territory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do the approval rating uh, for Shikari Richardson. Uh, Jim, let's start with, and this is the disgraced, I don't know, the celebrated and disgraced uh, uh, sprinter, Shakari Richardson. I got a job performance. I give her a four, Jim. She, you know, she didn't make the Olympic team. She failed her drug test. Job performance, four. What's her job? Uh, she's a sprinter, Jim. She's the fastest is woman in America. In the, is she complete? Is she compete? Not in the Olympics, no. So she gets a zero from me. Oh, wow. That means she's not, she's not working, is she? Very rare for you to get she rougher gets a zero. than me. Come on, let's go, all right, uh, character, and this is where we always have disagreements because you take the word character out of context, uh, but I'm going to say her character's low. She blamed her mother uh, for smoking weed or whatever, and uh, again, I don't like, anyway, I'm not big on it, so I give her a two in character. Are you familiar with the character Sonic Hedgehog? <laughs> that hair that run real fast? Yeah. That's who she is. She's Sonic the Hedgehog. No, she's a damn character. I oh. give her 25 <laughs> for being a damn character. That's what the hell she looked like. Wow, perfect score. Authenticity. Uh, yeah, yeah, I gave her 25. Yeah, authenticity. I just, 
from the eyelashes to the fingernails to the hair, I just don't find much authentic about her. I'm gonna give her a one in authenticity. Mm, you like her a lot better than me. <laughs> I give her a zero. For Nada. the same reasons? Nada. Yeah, for the same. I, 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 have you seen her real hair? No. I mean, how, how can she stay in the lines running with them eyelashes on? Them <laughs> eyelashes be so heavy, man. They be, ah, ah. Look like a damn Volkswagen coming at 55 miles an hour. Come on, man. It factor. Does she have an it factor? Kind of a call celeb. Doesn't do much for me. Uh, you know, she, she's, I, I'm going to leave it alone. No it factor for her. Not much one. I'm going to give her a 12 it factor. Uh, does she have a job? No. She ain't got it. She ain't got nothing. She gets a zero. <laughs> well, we both agree. I got her at a 19. You got her at a 25. Shakari Richardson, dumpster fire. She's a dumpster fire. You know what? You know what Tech Nine was saying at a time like this? What's that? Let's get high. Let's get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> we got the weaves. It ain't no punk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get high, let's get drunk. That's actually not tech nine. We got to weave today, no punk. Let's get crunked up. That is, that's 57th Street Road Dog Villains. That's Yo, this is Kansas City. <laughs> the land of short nitty. There you go. Oh, don't mention short nitty. All right, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go. We'll see you tomorrow.